welcome to another Voices of Safety. We've got a great conversation lined up. We've got Scott Coleman today from Preventure, and he's going to share with us why it's important to get moving around, get up from under our desk, or if we're standing all day, do some stretches, especially if we're going to do some heavy lifting. So let's get started. I'll hand it right over to you, Scott. The demands of what they do, measure their capacity to withstand those demands. And then when there's a mismatch, when the, the demands are higher than the individual's capacity to withstand those demands, then there's overload and there's injury. And you can see how that's exactly the same sort of concept that you send a workplace, whether it be for a specific task, if the demands of the specific task, which is what we call acute load. So if the acute load is beyond the individual's capacity to withstand that load, then they get injured. But then you've got chronic load, which is where if you've... Did we lose Scott? Yeah, we yeah. lost Scott. Uh-oh. Maybe he's behind my computer. No. No. <laughs> no, I just, I lost my camera for a second there too. Yeah, it froze there for a second. Yeah, here he is. He's bouncing back in. That's okay. Gotta love the technology. Right? I know. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it's okay. We're good at entertaining ourselves. So, you know, it's it's all good. Scott, when you're ready, come on back. Ask him to start his video. Do uh, do people here use stretches and stuff in your workplaces? You do, Malcolm? What yeah, kind of stuff are you doing? Uh, we had a we had a person come in that uh, trained our safety uh, site safety managers on different types of stretches. And so when they have their morning toolbox, uh, they do arm, back, hamstring, and uh, the head and neck rotations. You know, basically it's a muscle warming before they go out and, you know, get to work. And okay. it, it's, it's reduced some of our, uh, you know, uh, injuries, you know, for repetitive stuff. Yeah, so. Yeah. I know in retail, especially in where the produce was, I had some women who were really having bad sciatic pain. And so I brought in somebody who did yoga and a physiotherapy. And at first they thought it was just a joke. And I said, you know what, just humor me, just, just let her do one session. If you don't like it, she never has to come back. Okay. Well, if they weren't asking for her to come back monthly, and then they were asking if it, if it would be possible, if maybe um, she could teach them some other other type of stretches and stuff for certain areas. So it's a little bit of knowledge can go a long way. Hey, Scott, welcome back. Uh, I did not know what happened then and I tried to rejoin and it wouldn't let me. I don't know what's happening. But anyway, I'm back now. Yeah. Um, and yes, as, as I was saying, I was all saying, uh, with, uh, every day we, our job is to make sure that the demands of the tasks are not beyond the capacity of the individual. And that's what we did in sports. And that's the best way to do that is to measure those demands. So you can measure those demands in various ways. A lot of what we do is measure it using wearable technology. Um, and so what I'll show you a few images in a minute that 
can help any safety professional, whether they're focused purely on ergonomics or if it's a broader safety professional that does more workers' comp. When you can measure the demands and measure the capacities of an individual, it gives you so much more power to do a more effective job. First of all, to make better decisions, but second of all, to demonstrate the benefits of the work you've done. So going back to what Tamara was just saying with regards to stretching programs or any sort of programs that can change that balance. So like I said, you've got the demands of the tasks or the demands of a full shift, which is chronic load. The demands of a task is acute load. So anything that can manage the demands of the work or anything that can manage the capacity of the individual. So with Tamara's example, which is yoga, yoga is really good at, first of all, loosening tight structures. So if there is particular postures or if there is particular demands of the task that require an individual to move into certain ranges and they can't move into those ranges, yoga is perfect for the first thing. Secondly, yoga teaches movement control and movement control is key to reducing injury risk in most physically demanding tasks. And this is a big focus of what we've been doing, particularly the last five years. We've taken a lot of the sports research that has demonstrated the acceleration and decelerations of sports movement are key to predicting injury risk. It's exactly the same in the workplace. So you could have two workers doing the same task. One's moving with control. They're still doing the same amount of work. They're doing it with the same speed. So they say they're just moving boxes from point A to point B. You can move the, the force to lift up the box, the force to carry the box is exactly the same for both workers. Yet you could have, and I'm sure you've all seen this, you could have one worker moving smooth and one worker moving with jerky erratic movements. It's the jerky erratic movements, which is the accelerations and decelerations, increases the demands on the muscles to control those movements, which then can lead to fatigue, which can then lead to overload. So yoga, using the example previously, is really good at teaching workers to move with control. So that's an effective exercise program as well. Um, and over, it was interesting, the first thing as I transitioned across from, the, um, from sports into the workplace, I realized that a lot of, well, not a lot, workplaces who were trying to reduce injury or fatigue-related injury risks were, were providing warm-up routines or warm-up stretch routines or exercise routines for their workers to do at the beginning of the day. And I'm, I'm sure everyone's come across these. Some of you might've recommended them and actually created exercise routines. And I started thinking the reason why athletes do a stretching and a warm-up routine before they train is because they're about to train at a pretty intense level. Whereas workers, <laughs> when they're starting their shift, hopefully they're not going to be at a high level of intensity for that first hour but if they are then that's where stretching at the beginning of a shift is really effective so exercise at the beginning of the shift are only really effective if in the next period those exercises address the physical demands that are going to come up but logically if they're doing stretches at the beginning of the day and they're the most physical component is four, five, six hours later, then it's a waste of time. It's a, sorry, physiologically, it's a waste of time. 
I've seen plenty of stretching routines and exercise programs, warm up programs that are really good for team morale. They're really good for that. That you start the day, you clock on, you spend 15 minutes with your mates, having a bit of a stretch and talking about the football or the baseball or whatever. In that respect, they're great. <laughs> and they're, they're really, really good for that culture. But the reality is the stretches they're doing may not actually reduce injury risk in any way. and may not actually change that balance between the demands of what they've got to do and the capacity for the individual to do it, which is what it comes down to. And that's what I'm going to keep looping back to as well. Okay, so um, so what I'm hearing you say is um, it the morning exercise myth, right? Like, oh, as soon as people come into us work, that's when they should do the exercise. What we need to be doing is looking at when are people becoming really exert exerting themselves at a high level, or is like is there something else we should be looking at too for? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it's a myth. So okay. it depends on the demands and the environment that the work is coming into. So if it's really cold temperatures outside and the worker has just been outside in the cold temperatures and they're just coming into a warehouse, then a warm-up definitely would be beneficial because then they're actually physically warming up. Mm -hmm. However, most of the environments that I've seen pre-start exercise routines, the what the actual exercises are either too generic to target the needs of the worker or they're done at a time when it's not going to have an impact. But that's where if you measure it, you can, as safety professionals, you can come in and say, well, look, we've measured the demands throughout a full shift and we can see that the most physical part of their day is when the deliveries arrive at 11 a.m. or when they're cleaning the equipment at 3 p.m. So that's when they should do a quick exercise routine prior to that spike in the physical demand. Mm -hmm. And that's where there's a lot of tools now where you can measure that so you can see, all right, and I'll actually show you a few images in a minute, but that's where you can see throughout the day, here's the pattern of physical demands. So rather than doing a pre-start warm-up, let's do after lunch, let's do a quick routine that it's, it's not going to warm them up, but it's going to prepare them for the spike in physical load that they're about to do, whether that's stretches, whether that's control-based, like Tamara said, with the yoga, whether it is, whether there is going to be a lot of fast pace work for whatever reason, a delivery comes, so they've got to get the things off the back of the truck quickly, or there's a small time frame where they've got to, and so that's where control-based exercises would be really beneficial <laughs> to not just stretch muscles or, or condition muscles, but to fire up the neural pathways so that their proprioception is better, so they're less likely to roll their ankles or twist their knees. So that's where certain exercises will be beneficial depending on the tasks they're going to do and the time of the day they're going to do them. Does that make sense? <laughs> yep, any questions? Or... should just be individualized. Not so much individualized, because individualized you're talking about the specific needs of each individual so they can be somewhat customized to the group so for each uh, for each day task are for the day should be uh, specific to this task. And, and you can definitely take it that next step and we've done this we've actually our platform provides specific training targeting the individual's needs and so you okay. can actually have exercise programs 
delivered specifically to the individual. So that's where, like you say, it is individualized. And so you say, okay, prior to these tasks, everyone's got 10 minutes to do their exercises. And whether if it's someone who has a history of lower back pain, we know the biggest predictor of a back injury is a history of back pain. We know the biggest predictor of a shoulder injury is history of shoulder pain. So those individuals, the back pain individual will do back specific exercises. The shoulder pain individual will do shoulder specific exercises okay. prior to that period. So that's where individualized approach is really effective. Or like I said, it could be a more of a group or a role-based approach where if your occupation is uh, in dispatch in a warehouse, then mm -hmm. that's where I so say, here's the exercises for the dispatch people who to do after lunch before this big order comes in or before this big spike in their daily workload comes in. And I'm sorry, I know I keep going like this, but I'm, I'm visualizing charts because this is all of our data is in charts. And so basically it's like a timeline and you see the, the spike go up in the, in the chart. And so if you're wondering why my finger keeps going like that, that's why. <laughs> so did, did anybody else have another question before I ask another one? No, okay. I've got some charts and some images that I can ex sort of further explain what I was just talking about. Yeah, um, but I like the idea. So, so if you have the capability to send out notifications, you can. What you're saying is that that way you can kind of personalize it. So if somebody says to you, "I've I've been having back pains or whatever," and then you set them up, uh, get somebody to set them up with a little program to help that then you can use your notification system to kind of remind them. Is that what you were going with? Yeah. Oh, cool. And it's so, yeah. With technology, it's so much easier. Back in the day, you know, back when I was a sports physical therapist, we would spend one-on-one -on -one time with each of the athletes in the team explaining what their injury risks are and addressing them and building their programs. Whereas now, you know, in a workplace with thousands of workers, you don't have that time, you don't have that luxury, but you can put sensors on them and you can identify over a certain time frame. It can be just mm. one shift, they can wear the sensors for five shifts, whatever sort of depth you want to go into. Okay. But that's where you can develop automatically use data to develop profiles for the athlete, uh, for the athlete, profiles for the workers. Yeah. And then the data from those profiles identifies their needs. So if there is a bigger slips, trips and falls risk, if there is bigger demands on their shoulders or their backs, then they can get targeted exercise programs for their needs. Cool. So it's amazing how technology has enabled this sort of customization or individualized approach. Because can everyone see that screenshot, by the way? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something I started doing. This is obviously me in my home office when COVID lockdown. Oh, now I've got a cat jumping on me. Sorry, that's our other needy animal. Um, <laughs> I'm getting attacked. Um, so this is during the first stage of lockdown where I, being a physio, I thought I'm going to set up my workstation perfectly to what I needed. And you can see there, the screen is, the top of the screen's at eye level, which is probably the lower end of the, where it should be. But the reality was, this is where I felt, I thought I felt the most comfortable. Now, what we're looking at, I'll look at the chart first of all. So this is a timeline. So as we move along the chart, it's basically time. This is a five-hour period. The yellow line is my activity. So in this five-hour period, when I was doing reports and going through data analysis, I only got up to, so the spikes are when I got up and moved. So through, during this five-hour period, I moved a little bit at the beginning. 
Then there was this spike about, what, a third of the way through and then another one there. But really, there's not a lot of time I got up. So first thing, I need to get up at least every 30 to 45 minutes and stretch and for metabolic reasons. But the blue line is the important thing. And the blue line, I've got a sensor on my back. So the blue line is basically measuring my slouch or my trunk angle. So you can see this, what's called postural creep. So I start the, the day quite upright. You can see here the image. I'm quite upright. Posture is not the best, but it's not the worst. Then hour by hour, you can see my posture creeping forward. And then by the end of this recording period, five hours, that's what the image looked like. And I had no idea. So this is where for office workers, you know, so far I've talked mostly about your, your physically demanding workplaces, but this is where for office workers, simply here seeing this sort of data, you can say, all right, this worker, first of all, needs to get up and move every 45 minutes to an hour at least. But more importantly, if they continue with this pattern on a daily basis, they're gonna end up with a lot of back and neck problems. And this is where stretching routine for an office worker, mid-morning with like a, and I've got the foam roller here. So leaning on a foam roller or more simply leaning back over the chair, simply doing that. And I don't know, I don't know whether you could hear that, but my back just, my upper back just cracked quite loudly. Um, <laughs> having a simple stretch like that, would definitely reduce the injury risk of this exact data pattern. Any questions? This is like, these are the sort of experiments and projects that we do all the time. We love this sort of stuff. But this, you can imagine- No, that's this, a good point. This would happen to so many people, but this probably happens to all of us. Yeah. Like everyone on this call probably gets this postural creep. And then we all have days where it's like, oh, my neck's, why is my neck so tight today? Why is my back so stiff today? And simply getting up and stretching backwards and reversing that forward creep is a mm -hmm. really, really good exercise. Loosening the upper back is actually a really good exercise in general because that section of our back where the ribs attach, so the thoracic spine, there is a heap of research showing if you've got a stiff thoracic spine, it increases load on the shoulders, especially when you're reaching. So there's increased risk of shoulder injuries. It, it increases load on the lower back. So if your mm -hmm. mid upper back isn't doing its job, your neck and your lower back have to compensate. So, so many times, one of the big risk factors in repetitive loading tasks is a stiff thoracic spine because that increases the load on the lumbar spine. So if one, if you take one exercise or one recommendation out of this chat today, it is exercises arching back over a chair or over a bench or anything is probably the number one exercise that any worker anywhere can do whether they be a truck driver, physical in a warehouse or the office worker, keeping that upper back loose is probably the most beneficial stretch anyone can do. Malcolm, did you have yeah. Malcolm, were you going to say something? No, uh, but I'll take the opportunity. Uh, you know, uh, you know, like my uh, area, we're starting to deal with the aging workforce. Uh, so do we need to, uh, identify different exercises and uh, equipment for them? 
any exercise is a good exercise, I think is the main thing for the aging workers. Um, but even then it's interesting because in general, we know as every year we age, our physical condition decreases, but <laughs> that decreases at different rates for everybody. So we know as soon as we sustain an injury as we're getting older, that deconditioning happens even faster. So we know all of these. And so the reality is the best case scenario is targeting the needs of the aging worker and addressing those needs. So the same as every other worker, but um, with that aside, any, like I said, any stretch, any activity is good at trying to decrease that physical deconditioning that occurs every year we get older. You know, I look at this and one thing that comes through my, my head is that a lot of stationary behaviors, especially in office, is, is a lot because you, you feel that you shouldn't take a break or you shouldn't get up. And that's like a, a historical thing, like the gossip of if somebody is up and moving around, oh, they must not be working. <laughs> and I know for me that that was like one of the reasons why I didn't get up and, and move around a lot because I had supervisors make note about how many times they thought I went to the coffee room or the bathroom or whatever, right? So that's then that teaches you behavior of not doing these healthy behaviors. And so I'm wondering, is there an opportunity here to leverage this kind of insight and information in order to counter those, those ideals and stereotypes that we've been working in? And how could we do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not the best person to talk to with regards to that. There's a lot of, the thing that frustrates me the most, I guess, is the lack of translation of really good quality research findings into the real world. Mm. So there's heaps of research indicating, and you're going to hear me say that over and over and over, there's heaps of research because I'm a research nut. And, but there is a lot of research showing that getting up and moving around just for a couple of minutes every 30 to 40 minutes is really, really beneficial from a metabolic standpoint, from bone density, from muscle, from blood pressure, you name it. Yet there's still that sort of, well, as Tamara said, there's still that, I suppose, if you're not at your workstation, then you're not working mentality. Um <laughs> And the only way to change that is to get that research and that information from the scientists out into the public domain. And there's LinkedIn and there's plenty of plenty of other ways, but I don't know, does, any, does anyone else think of, can anyone else think of other ways that that, that can really be used to change culture? I have a question. Um, if you have a, a job where you sit at a desk for 12 hours, how often should you be taking a break every hour i mean oh, or like well, every two i don't know because that's what i do at the hospital that's my job and so i just um i know i need to get up and take breaks but i just don't and i'm thinking maybe if i set a little alarm on my phone it will remind me yeah so oh. the world health organization has said 45 minutes from here or 40 minutes is the world health organization wow. recommendation i think but there's definitely, okay. like, there's research that says it needs to be 30. Some research says hour. But I'm pretty sure the World Health Organization was 40, 40 to 45 minutes. There you go, but Laurel. It, you can uh, develop an app for the smartwatch and put that out. I think there already is. I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah. there's, there's plenty of those I'm for, sure for smartphones. 
Yeah. yeah. It doesn't doesn't you mean you have to do stretch job. in your seat. You know, you can stretch in your seat without taking a break. You know, just a few minutes. I yeah. think yeah. Um, it it helps because when I think about it, I feel better. But then I forget, and then I don't. <laughs> a simple sit to stand can can be effective. You literally stand up, sit down once. That that's better than nothing, and you know it, it does show that it changes some of those meta. Well, metabolic syndrome is the big one. So you can sort of reverse the metabolic syndrome effects by just simply standing up and sitting down again. Mm -hmm. Is anybody just standing for a while, or is everybody just sitting? Does anybody stand while they're working or? At their desk. I used to when I was a hostess at the um, at the Space Needle. I used to stand for hours, but um, they would give me a little step so that I could put one foot up a little bit, and that helped a little bit um, so that I wasn't actually standing on both feet all the time at the same mm -hmm. level. I don't know. We didn't get very many breaks, but because <laughs> it. If there's a way, if you stand um, and control postural sway, like leaning back, and keeping your knees unlocked and your hips unlocked, that's healthy for you. There's different ways to, to stand that is better than sitting. So, and then if you have a sit stand, you can go up and down, you know. Um, so that's, to me, that's the best way to do it. That's yeah. over. We've added a... Uh, a desk, you know, where they're able to sit, but they're also able to raise the desk up so they can stand and work at the station as well. And the employees seem to enjoy that a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I heard a um uh, at a conference a while ago, someone said one of the researchers in Australia say the best posture is the next posture. So any sustained posture for too long, whether it be standing or sitting. It's that sustained position. That's where the trouble begins. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll leave that into the next few. Can you still see my screen or did I stop sharing? We can yeah. see. It. So, this, so the next few charts I'll show you, it's just what, an, uh, what a particular shift looks like for some workers. And it, goes, it ties into what we're just talking about with the different postures throughout the day. But it all go, it goes back to, like I was saying before, when should exercises be performed? And so this is a reaching, this is reaching data for an eight-hour shift for a particular worker. And you can see for the first hour, so the different colours, 0 to 30 degrees to vertical, 30 to 60, 60 to 90, and so on. So in the first hour, this worker spent the majority of their time reaching 30 to 60 degrees. So it's still well below shoulder height, but it was out in front of them. So you can imagine the muscle fatigue in that component is, is significant. So for this particular worker, a stretch before they started would be appropriate to prepare their shoulder muscles for this amount of time that they're going to spend reaching. But then as the day goes on, you can see the time they spend reaching at different angles changes. And the last hour, uh, the hour four and hour eight were the ones where they're really doing all of this overhead reaching. So if they started their shift with some stretches or some exercises to prepare them for overhead reaching, that's a waste of time because they're not going to be doing it for four hours or even to the end of the shift. So this is where hour by hour, when you measure it, you can actually manage it and provide a program that targets the needs. 
And this is what their back posture was like. So exactly the same, we're looking at zero to 30 degrees, 30 to 60, but now we're looking at bending rather than reaching. Mm. So you got hour one compared to, so hour three is where they're spending most of their time bending. So more than half of their time, they're spent between 30 and 60 degrees and 60 to 90 degrees of bending forward. So this is where wow. in this section between hour three and four, during hours three and four, this work, this particular worker needs to do arching back exercises too, because we know if you spend too much time bending forward, the best way to give the muscles a break, to reduce stretch and, and stress on the ligaments and the, the tissues, the soft tissues is just arch back, hands on the hips, arching back. Mm-hmm. And so they, during, so for this particular organization, yeah, they could do it before they start the day, but they really need to do it from hour three onwards, really, for the rest of the shift, every 20, 30 minutes bending back. Are they, standing? Are they standing or sitting while they're doing all this work? So this was, from memory, this was a warehouse. This was another warehouse. Um, the, yeah, the reaching and the posture. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they're in a warehouse um, distribution. So standing, reaching, bending, packing boxes, doing orders. And it'd be interesting to see if the if the worker themselves were given this kind of data so they could even be included in the self-analysis. Yeah, 100%. How they might be more inclined to buy in to being to investing in in doing the changes that are needed. Because I, I think we are so much uh, more open-minded and health conscious in in like today than we even were five years ago mm. you know i, exactly. I think yeah yeah because i'm looking at this and now i'm like this is like really kind of hitting me in the head about why it's okay if i do want to get up and do that walk around the block i'm not being lazy i'm actually doing self-care <laughs> right which in, which improves productivity anyway yeah. like there's yeah if yeah. if employers understand that stretches and getting up and moving around um it reduces injuries but also improves productivity because of the hormone changes that happen when we get up and we get active yeah and this next one i think this is yeah this is the last one that i'll show you. this now we're looking at for particular tasks the acceleration and deceleration of the movements so like i said before yeah. you've got one worker here performing a task with in the green it's relatively low acceleration deceleration so it's actually good smooth movements and then another worker here performing the same task with this higher level of acceleration right and so that's where you can see well individual and same with the back so this is arm acceleration then you've got your back or your trunk acceleration the number of times they bend or twist and the control of that movement so this further sort of emphasizes the fact that individualized approaches are are beneficial because the the needs of the individual change and we obviously we want as many workers moving with this with the green in these charts a lot more control than the the um high levels of acceleration deceleration what kind of wearable technology is it do you um can you share that um, on uh, with with us I'll grab one. That's just oh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Hang on a sec. Yeah. 
All right. So this is what we use. But I, back in when I was doing sports analytics, and because, like I said before, I'm a science nerd, I had sensors everywhere. And so we built a platform that enabled sensors to go everywhere. But like I said before, it's shoulders and backs that are the biggest problem for most Americans and for most most people globally. But most physical workers, it's as soon as you the shoulder injuries take the longest to get rid of. They're the most costly, all that sort of stuff. But like I, I said before, I had one. Yeah, they wanted so me to the, do surgery, and I just became left-handed <laughs> yeah, instead. Yeah, good work. Yeah, um, yeah and I, the, the rates of surgery. That. Yeah, yeah, and the pain medications as well that come yeah, from shoulder. I didn't do that either. Yeah, it's. it's I was crazy. a tool maker for thirty-five years, so <laughs> standing a lot, moving oh a lot, gosh. a lot of yeah. manual machines, no CNCs, all manual. So yeah. It was brutal, and then I became an ergonomist because I learned how brutal it was. <laughs> yeah. And now, now you're helping people. Yeah, helping people yes. avoid what you, you went through. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I ended up doing this because my mother sustained an injury working as a nurse and she had seven levels of a spine fused. So oh, I said no. firsthand, and she didn't have a choice because she lost yeah. bladder and bowel control. So if she didn't have the surgery, she That's wouldn't have been able to live. So I saw firsthand the impact of avoidable workplace injuries on the lives of people. So all she, insurance... Uh, did she hurt her design. back from pick, help picking people up and stuff and standing a lot? Yeah, yeah. she developed a bad habit and a, a patient had fallen and she was trying to lift them in an awkward position. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, so that's why we sort of transitioned across and why I'm now doing this instead of elite athletes because I've seen the impact of workplace injuries on the lives of the workers. Um, but sorry, to go back to answer your question, yeah. these are the, the sensors that we sort of use that are the easiest to use because mm-hmm. it's simply... That one goes on the upper back, so that measures the body movements and the posture. And then this one just goes around the arm. So it's easy to put on. And then, yeah, you just measure the movements for a task or you measure movements for a full shift. Right. That's the data that you've seen basically stems from these. So that technology, is that your technology or did you buy that? from somebody? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we we built it. Because like I said, I used sports-based technology, but it wasn't cost-effective for the workplace, but it wasn't easy to use for the safety professionals. So it was too yeah. confusing and too detailed. And so we just built something that was cost-effective that anyone could use. So they send data to the smartphone app and then and then it's all cloud-based. So you can then go and see the sort of charts that I just showed you. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing that. <laughs> yeah. And it just gives you the tools to make better decisions and engage workers. Like, like you say, you show the workers those charts of what mm-hmm. the, the, the physical demands look like throughout a shift then they, they'll understand why they should stretch after lunch rather than um, not stretch at all or, or um, yeah, not listen to the safety training because, unfortunately, they think they've heard it all before and they think they know better. And so when you provide them with something new um, that's shown the measurements and the demands for their role, then um, nine times out of ten it will spark their attention and hopefully change behaviour because mm-hmm. that's what we want at the end of the day. And, and, you know, a mentoring behavior also helps so much. I'm thinking back to a manager that I had, Dan McLean, and uh, he used to, for our, our uh, one-on-one meetings, uh, he used to be a jogger, very physically fit. He'd be like, oh, let's, let's just go out and, and, you know, go for a walk during our meeting, right? Which was his way. He noticed I didn't get out from under my desk. 
So I think it was his way of kind of just saying it's okay to go move. Like, and, and you can fit it in. If you feel like you still have to work, you can fit it in this way. And so that started to be our team's thing is that we would do these walkabout meetings, right? And so then we, we sometimes we'd have other people from other teams meeting with us. And we're like, oh no, we do a walkabout meeting, right? And people are like, what is that about? And then it, it kind of caught on when people had done it with our team, they wanted to do it too, because you feel so good. You go, you walk to the park. We all sat down in the park. We talk, we get back up and then we'd be walking back or like, you know what I mean? So, and that That's was, because, yeah. And that was smart leadership, right? Like he saw what the, the physical issues were with people not moving. And instead of nagging at us, he just kind of figured out a creative way to get us to want to do it. Smart. Amazing. Well, any questions or concerns or thoughts? I think you had a good point about healthcare workers. Um, <laughs> since we started these safety presentations, um, we found out that healthcare workers are second only after construction workers for injuries um, on the job and it's needle sticks and back injuries. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think that people understand that as much. They they really need breaks and stretching and yeah, just as much as the rest of us, but they don't think about it. Well, another thing that you got to understand, I've been studying standing for a long time. I've been doing it a long time. And then I started studying it about six years ago. If you're standing with locked knees and locked hips, you bend at the middle of your back. And that's where all the injury is coming in. And even if you're picking up something six pounds, it just keeps wearing on that spot, mm -hmm. you know, even, even a little bit. So it's just that repetition. So you have to find yep. ways to control postural sway. I don't know if you, Scott, if you know about that in your, um, that's a big one. Uh, even my hairdresser, I always tell her, touch something when you're standing so you can relax, you know? Otherwise you're just, you know, your fascia is getting all stressed out and your tendons and everything else. So but, but but that's neural, a big one, unlocking your hips, number yeah. one. Because neural fatigue is a huge one that a lot of the pe a lot of people don't know about, but a lot of people forget about it. Because like you say, yeah, it puts pressure on the muscles and on the ligaments and on the connective tissue. But as you're standing, you've constantly got to, to stay upright Right. You've got a constant stream of information coming from the nerves that are in your joints and your muscles and your skin and everything. Uh -huh. Constant stream of information going up to the brain, but then constant stream of information going from the brain back down to the muscles to keep you upright. As soon as you sit yeah. down, a lot of those processes stop because your brain goes, all right, I'm sitting. I don't need to stay in one position. So the longer you stand, the more neural fatigue, and we all know it. We've, if you, you go to a, a sports event where you're on your feet or you've parked a mile, million miles away and you've got to walk and you get home at the end of the day and your legs just ache. And a lot of that years muscle and, and ligament fatigue, mm -hmm. but a lot of that's neural fatigue as well. You know, I wonder <laughs> if uh, like MS and those type of um, diseases is just like your body just overload, like you're overloading a, a computer. It just heats up too much because you're you're out of control with your postural sweat. 
because I know people when they're more relaxed, the MS slows down, the mm. tension slows down. So I wonder if that's part of it. Interesting. It makes but, sense. Uh, bending at your hips, that's so important. You got to unlock your knees and unlock your hips in any trade. That's what I found. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about the touching something. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, like, it sounds well, like when if, you're going up the ladder, you know, the three point thing. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, then you tense up and then your knees and your hips do lock up because you're, you want to be stable. So just touch something that will give you the ability to unlock everything and then you won't get hurt. It'd be interesting to see data from different industries, you know, because I'm pretty sure um, grocery retail where people are standing all day long, you've got oh, cashiers yeah. standing in a little confined space. You've got deli workers that are, are running back and forth in a department. And it, and it looks like, oh, that's not very far to go. But when you do that, that um, department, you know, continuously for eight hours because you're actually running and you're not even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Your feet are burning at the end of the night and, you, and you're like, God, you know, like, why are my feet hurting so much? I barely move. But it's like, well, not really. You actually were. You were just not moving long spaces, just short spaces. Right. And these are marginalized workers who are who are paid less than a lot of other people yeah. and are part timers and don't have health benefits. Right, so another thing you got to understand too is when these cashiers or people that are standing and they have a lot of postural sway, they lock up and mm -hmm. movement isn't going to help because they're moving with locked hips and locked knees. So now they're just walking around like a duck, like Ch Charlie Chaplin. And that makes it bad when they're bending and, and picking things up and they're going to get hurt for sure. Guaranteed. Yeah. But I also think it goes into um, say designing in a, in a way that also provides people at the stations that they're in, mm -hmm. you know, choices like and I, I don't know what the answer might be, but I'm thinking if you do need to rest for a bit, maybe having something on the station where somebody can lean back in comfort that's ergonomically correct. Right. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to have to ask somebody who's like a really genius in engineering design to, to think of that type of thing, mm -hmm. solutions. But there's got to be something because we're supposed to be also helping to eliminate. Right. It's not just about making controls and throwing on PPE or or just saying, oh, let's just do some extra stretches. It's got to be going back to like, well, what can we actually be altering in the design of the environment? Right. Too, right That's exactly right because we we didn't evolve to stand we no. evolved to move and squat and we just that with this modern uh furniture we just started to stand within the last i don't know how many hundreds of years but we didn't evolve that way so now we're hurting ourselves and it's showing up at work yeah we're, we're getting hurt at work and at home too staying in the kitchen you know, if people stand in the kitchen the wrong way, you're hurting yourself. Or sitting in the couch. Yeah. <laughs> but at least well, you're yeah. postural sway. <laughs> no, but you're probably doing there, something you know, else. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like it, it's compounding because like, and again, you just don't sit in the couch for like, 
like 15, 20 minutes if somebody's doing Netflix binging, right? <laughs> like like modern society. It's Let's true. keep They're it real. The tiger king, yeah. <laughs> the tiger king. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you binge watch anything? <laughs> What's that? The pandemic was tough, you know? Yeah. I had like different things I had in different rooms so I could change my posture as needed. Right. Not only mentally, but physically. Did anybody have any questions for Scott? I think it was a good presentation there, Scott. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look at your website there and uh, interested in your um, technology, you know, when I go into the shops. Now, I did put your connection information into the chat for people to, to yeah, I, I'd be very interested in seeing, like, armed with this kind of knowledge, how could we be presenting to management so that they see the value in actually getting and encouraging their people to move, mm. right? Well, we, we, we made sure every, every time a, a set of sensors is used, there's a purpose. Because mm -hmm. the last thing we ever wanted to do was just to have another piece of tech that people say, well, yep, yeah, we've measured something, so what? So yeah. generally we help with you know, pilot projects and there's always, and, and it's like, you know, a, a high school, every single one of them is like a high school science experiment or like a research paper that I read. It's like, well, there's what's the objective? Okay, what's the method? How are we, we going to do it? And it's simple. It's like the objective is to reduce injury risk for task A. The method is we're going to get five workers, put the sensors on five different workers and measure the demands for that task. So that's the method. The results, we look at the variability. Are they doing it differently? Are they doing it the same? And the outcome or the conclusion is this is the best way. Mm -hmm. So are you measuring? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. No, you're right. Sometimes I have a hard time figuring when to jump in. <laughs> I talk too much. Sorry. No, you don't. It's just me jumping in. Um, so are you measuring the load on the muscles, the stress on the muscles? Uh, are you measuring the angle of the body? What part? How are you measuring? So we 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 talk in terms of load, and the load algorithm we have is is determined by time, so duration, of course, which is obvious. The range, so how far the person moves, which is what most options out there. So there's quite a few variable. Uh, quite a few wearable technology solutions now that do that time and range but we measure movement control for the exact same reasons that i showed you before because accelerations and decelerations are the key and so those parameters then all go into a load measurement so you can measure the load for a task which like i said is is the acute load and then you've got the chronic load which is the range and the acceleration throughout a full shift 8 10 12 hours where the workers and you see hour by hour which workers are going through which amount of load. Um, so that, that's the way we, measuring exertion, we don't. We don't measure the forces. And there's a reason why early on in this journey, I measured the force of tasks. But you could have, say a task, like I said before, moving a 10, uh, 10 pound or 20 pound box from point A to point B. Every the force required to do that task is the same for every single worker. 
So you can measure it and that's great. But every worker will move differently to exert that force. So everyone on this call now, if we all did exactly the same work task, we would move slightly different because we've all got different. So Kathy's got a sore shoulder. So she would move differently to me who's having right. a history of back pain. So the forces for everyone to do the task are the same. So you can measure them and that's great. But what you really want is to measure the different movement patterns of the workers when they're exerting that force. And that's when you really see what the injury risk is. So that's why we focus on the measurement of the workers' movement rather than the forces required. And I would love to measure exertion through EMG and have sensors on muscles and see exactly what the muscle exertion is but it's not practical. And we've even found that EMG sensors used in the workplace aren't accurate anyway, because huh. sensors could be positioned millimeters different between workers and it's invalid. So as much as I'm a science nerd and I would love to gauge that sort of thing, it's not practical. <laughs> and if anything, it can be misleading and it can actually yeah. give a false huh. reading in, in which muscle groups are working more than others. But we know when you're measuring the movement patterns, then there's no misleading data. It's the acceleration. Yeah, if you're doing the right thing. If you're if you're moving the right way, you shouldn't hurt those muscles, right? Exactly. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So this has been a great session. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thank thanks you. for your time. It's great yeah, to meet you all. appreciate you being with us, Scott. <laughs> yeah. What time is it where you are right now, Scott? Uh, it's nearly midday, so I'll yeah. go and grab some lunch. I'll go and grab a meat, meat pie for some lunch. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. And how long have you been doing this work? I don't uh, think you shared that. Yeah, so uh, eight years now. Eight years since I've transitioned from sports um, sports injury prevention across to the workplace. And, and it's been a fun journey because every year we spend more time with the likes of everyone on this call to mm -hmm. refine what we're doing and to do new projects. And, and now with you know, Medicare reimbursements for um, remote therapy monitoring, we're, we're looking at adapting our technology for, for physical therapists so they can monitor and, and see the quality of exercises their patients are doing at home. And there's so much really cool stuff that can be done with the technology that's advancing. And it, mm -hmm. it's all cost effective as well. It doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. So yeah, it's exciting, really exciting. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exciting how far we've come, you know, that we have this information, these insights, so that we can share the knowledge. You know what ergonomics was. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. A lot I, of people didn't. I used to set my machines at the right uh, height and everything instinctively. I used to right. do a lot of things I'm like, man, that hurt. Let me try it different. And I would yeah. always do that. So it, it wasn't a big stretch to get into the business, but I didn't know. I didn't know safety was part of that, you know, or yeah. any of it. You know, yeah. being from a small tool shop, I own my own place, you know, so it was like, I didn't get out much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. And it shows you the value also. Yeah. It shows the value of bringing people into the team that have this knowledge. I think one thing, you know, is, is key is like as a safety professional, it doesn't mean that you have to know everything. It just means that you have to ha know the resources and the people who know to bring in 
to the team, like the woman that I brought in for the, the yoga and the, the physical therapy, right? The, the women just felt very special even in the produce section that they had this person, a professional coming in to talk to their department. It made them feel good that we had got something special for yeah. them. And that, that's a big piece of our job. Yeah, definitely. That's great. Yeah. You know. It so. makes everybody Making feel, them feel valued. valued in whatever way you can. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hi. Did you have a question? No, actually, I don't have any questions. So this is my first time to join in your team. In your team. Oh, welcome. So, yeah, I'm so glad to, to join you. As yeah. Actually, I'm a safety officer in mining sector. Oh, okay. And do you... Yeah, uh, in West Africa. I, and do you do, um, do you discuss some um, ergonomics and lifting and stuff with your team? Yep, I used to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Well, welcome. We're glad that you joined us. Okay. Thank you so much. It, it must be uh, late where you are. Uh, sorry? It must be late where you are. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, I love it when we get people from all over the world. It's really cool. We appreciate yeah. you joining us. <laughs> well, that's we're at the top of the hour, Laurel. I know. How did that happen? I know. It's so quick. <laughs> so, can I ask one last question? Absolutely. Yeah, go I, ahead. I'm not sure if we covered it off, but um, Scott, what's your take on sit stand desks? Because I personally, like, I've been working from home. I've read all the reviews. I've done all my research. I went out and bought a sit-stand desk from Ikea, but like, what's your candid, honest, off the record, personal opinion? Oh, you got I'm one. standing. I'm yeah, standing okay. now. <laughs> so I've got oh, a sit-stand wow. chair. I can sit down and um, I think they're amazing, but I don't, they're not one size fits all. And that's, yeah. and it was funny. I, as I transitioned from sports injury prevention to the workplace, I actually worked for Aon um, in their people risk team. And so I went into the corporate, the corporate space where there were what hundred people on the, in an office and we all had our cubicles and we all, and one of the PAs uh, had a back injury. And so she got the electric up down desk and she yeah. followed these protocols and within months everyone wanted one because it was the latest thing and why she got one why can't i get one and and as a result they all were just no one had any guidance as to what they were doing and the the leg aches and the so it was this transition over a 12 month period there was one then within four five six months there was everyone had one Within 12 months, everyone was back to sitting down again and, because and, there was no structure behind it. And it was just this wave of, this is the latest thing I'm going to do. I need it as well because I don't want to get a sore back. It's so, because they're standing with locked knees and locked hips. 
Oh, they, they just so weren't. Let, let me, they didn't adapt. Is it okay if I share adapt. my website with you guys so you understand think, what I'm talking here. about? Yeah, sure. I would love that, Kathy. Thank right. you. Because I'm an expert. I became an expert at it. Um, Scott, how tall are you? I'm a bit over six foot. Wow. Okay. I used yeah. to be taller, but I lost all my hair. I, used to be... <laughs> um, <laughs> I asked because even with the, the desks as well, I, I found that I had a desk before and it looked great and cosmetically uh, appeasing, but functionally it didn't work for me. And I felt like my knees were hitting the top. And just to give everybody some context to this, um, I, I'm a bit slightly shorter than Scott. I'm 5'2". And so for me to function and figure it out and be, being ergonomically correct, like I'm that person that in, in my kitchen, all my shelves and drawers are lower. Um, and then like when I go grocery shopping, I, I wait for people like you, Scott, that are a bit taller that can reach the top shelf. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not shy because I just, yeah. <laughs> right. So you learn how to function in your world based yeah. on your, your height and yeah. Well, I uh, actually invented a device for standing workers and I have people using them at their desk. So uh, that way you don't have to sit every eight minutes because usually around eight minutes, that's when people start to lock up, lock their knees and their hips. Well, with my device, you can stand, I stand sometimes for hours. So it just unlocked it, it, it um, controls postural sway and it um, unlocks your hips and your knees. And um, so if you kind of think about a kneeling chair without the chair part and stand up, you're just leaning your shins into it and you can go, you know, I mean, when I had my shop, I was standing for 12 hours a day, no fatigue, no MSDs. That's when I was able to heal my shoulder because I had produced a core. Um, that was right at the same time I invented this. So my core got strong and when my core got strong, I was able to grow muscles and 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 work my other work my other shoulder out and uh, and save the one. I didn't have to have surgery on it. So check it out. It, you know, it's pretty cool. And you can actually just use anything to lean your shins into it. You don't have to get a stand right pro <laughs> at a desk, anyways. Cool. Great. Well, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for coming today and sharing about the this information and the data. It's eye-opening for sure. You know, it makes me feel comfortable pushing back and saying, no, I, I have the right to self-care. I'm not doing this because I just want to. I'm doing this because it is going to help me be healthier. And I think that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing all your stuff, Scott. Thank you. No Thanks it. for your time, everyone. And enjoy Thank the rest you. of your evening. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye, Bye everyone. <laughs> Have a beautiful night. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for organizing, Tamara. Oh, thank you, everybody, for coming. Yeah.